Can I rant for a sec? Please. Pay apps are way too public. What happened? Some rando hearted a payment from five months ago, and I realized people can see my entire history, who I'm paying, like full names. It's super weird. Yeah, it's weird. How are you paying your friends then? Apple Cash. It's all in messages. You can literally send cash like a text, and it stays between friends. Random people can't see it. Did you just pay me a dollar on Apple Cash? <laughs> Services are provided by Green Dot Bank. Member FDIC. Terms apply. Trinity School of Natural Health can help you be part of the fast-growing health and wellness industry. With an education that empowers communities, Trinity grads can change lives by applying natural health principles and techniques in holistic practices or stores selling nourishing health products. Offering 19 online programs that fit your busy schedule, you'll get training to help turn your passion into a career. Enroll today at trinityschool.org. That's trinityschool.org. Escape to summer with Victoria's Secret's just-arrived collection of swim and other sun-ready silhouettes. Pack your bags with new styles from the Very Sexy Collection, like the made-to-be-seen Very Sexy Push-Up Bra, in on-trend hues like green and citron and black shine. Rewind to the future with the VS Archives Swim Collection, inspired by Victoria's Secret's classic looks from the 90s and early 2000s. Plus, mix and match with their wide range of bikini tops and bottoms to find your dream suit. Shop now at your closest Victoria's Secret store or online at victoriasecret.com. From BBC Radio 4, Britain's biggest paranormal podcast is going on a road trip. I thought in that moment, oh my God, we've summoned something from this board. This is Uncanny USA. He says, somebody's in the house, and I screamed... Listen to Uncanny USA wherever you get your BBC podcasts, if you dare. This is your moment, your time to shine, your comeback. You're ready for the next step in your career, and you want an education employer's respect. So you're not just going back to school, you're coming back with Purdue Global. Backed by Purdue University, one of the nation's most respected public universities, Purdue Global is built for people who bring their life experience into the online classroom. Purdue Global, Purdue's online university for working adults. Start your comeback today at purdueglobal.edu. Welcome to Criminalia, a production of Shondaland Audio in partnership with iHeartRadio. One hundred and one years ago, the New York Times reported, quote, Fighting continues in mountains as federal troops reach Mingo. Planes reported bombing miners. In 1921, the conflict between the West Virginia coal miners and the coal mining companies escalated to violence not seen in the United States since the Civil War. And it resulted in multiple charges of treason. Welcome to Criminalia. I'm Maria Tremarchi. And I'm Holly Fry. In the United States, the Labor Day holiday pays tribute to the contributions and achievements of American workers, and it's traditionally observed on the first Monday in September. It's been a federal holiday since 1894. In West Virginia, in September of 1921, Labor Day was not spent at the grill, as many Americans might now traditionally spend that day. It was spent fighting for the rights of miners in coal country. Long-standing grievances between coal miners and their employers culminated 
just around Labor Day weekend that year in an event that became known as the Battle of Blair Mountain. By its end, hundreds of miners and Union sympathizers were charged, some with murder, some with conspiracy, and a few with treason. We're going to be talking about the 1920s, but we're going to go back just a little bit more on the timeline for some background first. Beginning in the late 1800s, the coal fields in three of West Virginia's counties, Mingo, Logan, and McDowell counties, operated under a company town system. A company town is a place where all your needs are taken care of by the company you work for, at least (laughs) in theory. Being a miner meant you lived in a company town. You lived in a company-owned house. You bought all your food and supplies at the company store. You sent your kids to the company school. You read the company newspaper, obeyed the company-employed police. Your pay was docked for the costs of your housing, medical care, and tools you used for your job in the mines. You get what's going on here, I'm sure. And because the mining companies controlled essentially every single aspect of your life, They could do whatever they wanted to with it. Pay you low wages? They sure did. And they paid those wages in something called scrip, which was a company tender, a substitute for government-issued legal currency. That's right, miners weren't actually paid in actual U.S. dollars. It's not hard to see through this description how mining companies and company towns really trapped miners and their families in a cycle of inescapable poverty. Mining as a way to make a living was also, in itself, just really dangerous at the turn of the 20th century. Fatal on-site accidents such as roof collapses, explosions, and fires were frequent. And then health problems such as black lung disease, which occurs when coal dust is inhaled, claimed miners as well as their families. Mine safety laws in West Virginia were the weakest in the country at the time, and the laws that did exist had few, if any, provisions to ensure their enforcement. Let's talk about these mines. Conditions in the mines were deplorable. The United Mine Workers of America wanted larger representation and union membership in that region of West Virginia. The union was founded in January of 1890 through the merger of two preceding groups, the Knights of Labor Trade Assembly Number 135 and the National Progressive Miners Union. It was modeled after the American Federation of Labor and was the culmination of decades of effort. The mine operators had long kept all unions out of this region and not just by politely refusing their requests. They used intimidation and violence to get their way. It was commonplace for a company to pressure their employees to sign what was known as a yellow dog contract, which was a pledge that the employee would not organize. Coal mining companies in Mingo County, West Virginia, and the surrounding region reacted to the union by hiring only non-union workers. On top of that, they strictly enforced the line item in their employment contracts that included union membership as grounds for immediate termination. Because miners lived in company towns, immediate termination also meant immediate eviction from your home. The mining companies employed private muscle, hired from the Baldwin Feltz Detective Agency, to harass striking miners and their families and to enforce their eviction from company-owned homes. As a miner living in a company town, you owned nothing. You had nothing. 
The Battle of Blair Mountain didn't happen out of nowhere. In Pennsylvania, during the 16-month Westmoreland County coal strike of 1910 and 1911, 16 people were killed, all of them striking miners or members of their families. After families who'd been evicted from company-owned housing built a tent colony, an estimated 20 people, including women and children, were killed because of it by local police, hired guns, and Colorado National Guardsmen during the Colorado Coalfield War of 1913 and 1914. Nine years before the events at Blair Mountain, miners who were striking for greater union recognition clashed with armed agents from Baldwin Feltz, who had been hired by the mining companies to enforce those company rules. They terrorized the town. The agents forced families at gunpoint from their company-owned homes. They drove through a tent colony of evicted miners while spraying machine gun fire, killing at least one person. In 1914, those same Baldwin Feltz agents burned alive women and children in a mining camp cellar at Ludlow, Colorado. Historian Lon Savage described the laborers as oppressed and angry, and who could blame them? Quote, They had been crushed and killed on their jobs and fired from them when they tried to organize a union, he wrote. They had been evicted from their company homes and machine-gunned in their union tents. Periodically, they had risen in fury. There was a history of violence against miners and their families, all of which contributed to the Blair Mountain Uprising. We're going to take a break for a word from our sponsor right now, and when we return, we're going to meet a man named Don Chafin, the sheriff of Logan County, West Virginia. for a sec. Please. Pay apps are way too public. What happened? Some rando hearted a payment from five months ago, and I realized people can see my entire history, who I'm paying, like full names. It's super weird. Yeah, it's weird. How are you paying your friends then? Apple Cash. It's all in messages. You can literally send cash like a text, and it stays between friends. Random people can't see it. Did you just pay me a dollar on Apple Cash? <laughs> Services are provided by Green Dot Bank. Member FDIC. Terms apply. This episode is brought to you by Simply Safe. Listen, you listen to true crime podcasts. You know that the world can be dangerous and unpredictable and that there will unfortunately be people who want to hurt each other. And so it's kind of nice to get a little peace of mind by having a good home security system. Just take a few precautions. And I recommend looking at Simply Safe Home Security. I've had my home broken into in the past, and it was a terrible feeling, even though nothing that bad really happened. Aside from an intruder, I just really like knowing that I have a security setup that lets me check in on my pets when I'm not home. That is a huge peace of mind giver when I am out traveling. Simply Safe sent me a whole home security system, and I was really, really impressed by the variety of indoor and outdoor cameras they offer. And the whole thing is backed by 24-7 professional monitoring for less than a dollar a day. Get 20% off any new Simply Safe system when you sign up for Fast Protect Monitoring. Just visit slash criminalia. That's simplysafe, S I M P L I S A F E dot com slash criminalia. There's no safe like Simply Safe. Hey, everybody, it's Holly. Listen, I've been doing stuff on stage since I was a kid, which means that I have been doing my makeup since I was a kid. And I can turn out a look when I need to, but on my day to day, I really like to keep it a little more relaxed and low key. I don't have time for a full face most of the time. But that also means that Thrive Cosmetics can have me covered no matter what I'm doing, whether I'm doing something 
on stage, like I have an appearance or a live show, or I'm just running to the grocery store, something in their line is perfect. And what I really love and what's important to me is that they are certified 100% vegan and cruelty-free. And to me, cruelty-free is very important in the cosmetics I use. I mentioned that I've been doing my makeup for a long time. I've gotten older in that time. And one of the things that I've done to refresh my look is switch over to their brilliant eye brighteners and use something like a rose gold shade to really like go all around my eye and then just blend it out and get a daytime smoky look. It makes me look a little more youthful and more refreshed. And it's just easy as pie. And it means that I don't have to mess with a whole ton of products. Refresh your everyday look with Thrive Cosmetics, luxury beauty that gives back. Right now, you can get an exclusive 10% off your first order at thrivecosmetics.com slash criminalia. That's Thrive Cosmetics, C-A-U-S-E-M-E-T-I-C-S dot com slash criminalia for 10% off your first order. Trinity School of Natural Health can help you be part of the fast-growing health and wellness industry. With an education that empowers communities, Trinity grads can change lives by applying natural health principles and techniques in holistic practices or stores selling nourishing health products. Offering 19 online programs that fit your busy schedule, you'll get training to help turn your passion into a career. Enroll today at trinityschool.org. That's trinityschool.org. Escape to summer with Victoria's Secret. Pack your bags with just-arrived swim, cover-ups, corset tops, and other sexy silhouettes. When the sun goes down, opt for bold and blingy styles, like the made-to-be-seen Very Sexy Push-Up Bra from the Very Sexy Collection, in on-trend hues like Black Shine, Green, and Citron. For a glam statement, pair them with your favorite jeans and bring the heat. Because life is better in a bikini. Rewind to the future with the VS Archive Swim Collection, inspired by Victoria's Secret's classic looks from the 90s and early 2000s. For endless out-of-office options, mix and match with Victoria's Secret's wide range of bikini tops and bottoms that offer you every type of coverage, from full to cheeky to minimal. And now, in this season's must-have shades and patterns, add the finishing touch with the limited-edition Bombshell Escape fragrance, a free-spirited take on the iconic Victoria's Secret scent. Dive into a vibrant blend of juicy guava, lush palms, and summer glow peony. Shop now at your closest Victoria's Secret store or online at victoriasecret.com. Welcome back to Criminalia. In 1921, West Virginia coal miners began their march in protest of working conditions and wages. And here is how they found themselves at war. In West Virginia on May 19, 1920, 12 men were killed during what's known as the Matewan Massacre. The event galvanized support for the United Mine Workers, which had started to organize miners in Mingo County that summer. In response, the coal mining companies brought in non-union replacement workers, and over the next several months, the union and the owners engaged in a fierce battle. Thirteen Baldwin Feltz agents arrived in the town of Matewan under order by the coal mining companies to evict all families of any striking miners from company-owned housing. When Matewan Mayor Cabell Testerman caught wind of the plan, he, along with the chief of police Sid Hatfield, confronted them near the local train station upon their arrival. A heated argument quickly escalated. Hatfield, a union sympathizer, attempted to arrest the agents when suddenly a gunfight broke out between agents and miners. Seven Baldwin Feltz men, two miners, and the mayor were all killed during this fight. In less than a year, in retaliation for the events of that day, Hatfield was assassinated by Baldwin Feltz men as he entered the McDowell County Courthouse. 
And that turned out to be one of the breaking points for the miners. Wrote the sheriff of Mingo County in May of 1921, quote, murder by laying in wait and shooting from ambush has become common. The Blair Mountain conflict was a result of decades of unrest, and it was part of what are called the Coal Wars, or sometimes the Mine Wars, which was a series of armed labor disputes in the United States, mainly in Appalachia and roughly between the years 1890 and 1930. It was the bloody, violent climax of these coal miner versus coal company conflicts that took place in the early 1920s. During the Battle of Blair Mountain, 10,000 West Virginia coal miners marched in protest of perilous working conditions, squalid housing, and low wages, among other grievances. Their march began in the small town of Marmot, with the intention of reaching Mingo County a few days away to meet with the coal companies and make their demands known. Ultimately, they planned to free miners in Mingo County who had been arrested and held in jail on charges for violating the martial law that the governor had imposed on that county because of similar unrest. To get to Mingo, though, they first had to cross through Logan County. The miners never made it past the mountain. They did not reach their goal. They found themselves battling Logan County Sheriff Don Chafin's deputized citizen army of coal company supporters. Commonly referred to by the nickname the Czar of Logan, Chafin was in the pocket of the coal companies and received large amounts of cash from coal mine operators to suppress unionization. He commanded a citizen army in the Battle of Blair Mountain in an effort to squash union efforts. Chafin, let's say he's an interesting man. Most coal operators hired private security, such as guards from the Baldwin Feltz Detective Agency. Basically, they hired thugs to do their negotiating for them. In Logan County, though, it was a little different. Coal mine operators relied on Sheriff Don Chafin and his deputies. Volunteers in Chafin's army included middle-class teachers, shopkeepers, and generally other white-collar workers who feared the union and the miners. Chafin earned a lot of money working for coal companies. For instance, during the Paint Creek Cabin Creek Uprising of 1912, he took in nearly $3,000 a month. Operators paid him almost $38,000 for his, and I'm going to air quote this, work as a county clerk during the year 1919. They had just spent that money on helping their actual employees. It seems so easy. No way. In August of 1921, union and union-sympathizing miners began to gather. Their planned first stop in Logan County, it said, was, at the very least, to unseat Sheriff Chafin. Some accounts suggest that they had more murderous plans. Chafin just could not be avoided. The miners were going to have to move through Logan County en route to their destination and pass an anti-union sheriff known for declaring, quote, no armed mob will cross the Logan County line. Chafin's makeshift army constructed a network of machine gun nests and trenches around Blair Mountain, a 2,000-foot peak that stood directly in the miners' path. Led by union organizers Frank Keeney and Fred Mooney, the miners made plans to confront the coal companies. To quote miner and Baptist Reverend John Wilburn, it is time to lay down the Bible and take up the rifle. 
By August 24th, the miners were heading south toward Mingo County. During a meeting with the War Department's General Harry Bandholtz, though, Keeney and Mooney were advised that any violence would prove disastrous for both the Union and the miners. And the two men tried to call off the march, but after two miners died fighting with Chafin's deputized forces, any idea of ceasefire talks ended. Four days later, on August 28th, those 10,000 miners had reached the border of Logan County, and they had begun exchanging gunfire with coal company supporters. Their makeshift uniform was blue bib overalls and a red bandana tied around their necks to distinguish friend from foe among themselves. That, it turns out, is the origin of today's often used in a derogatory manner term, redneck. They wore them in solidarity, and they self-named as the Redneck Army. There was gunfire exchanged, but the first heavy fighting happened on August 31st, when a group of about 75 miners led by Reverend Wilburn happened upon a group of Chafin's forces on a wooded ridge. Each side called to the other for the password, and neither side answered correctly. The ensuing shootout killed three deputies and one miner. That same day, the miners began a two-pronged assault on the area Chafin was holding. Miners ran up the mountainside but were pushed back down with machine gun fire from higher ground. So up and down and up and down until the next morning when a detachment of miners with a Gatling gun they had looted from a company store drove an assault. Chafin's forces fought back with more machine gun fire, of course. Quote, Machine guns cracked up there so you would think the whole place was coming down on you, miner Ira Wilson later recalled. But after a few hours of heavy fire, the enemy machine gun jammed. The miners surged in, but they were met with heavy machine gun fire from another gunner positioned farther up the ridge. Chafin's forces were just ridiculously well-armed. Not only were they equipped with machine guns, he had also chartered three private biplanes and equipped them with tear gas and pipe bombs loaded with nuts and bolts as shrapnel. None of this was financed by Chafin. It was all supplied by the Coal Operators Association. Chafin did order the planes to drop those homemade explosives over two of the miners' strongholds. But as far as we know, there were no casualties from that particular assault. The Battle of Blair Mountain ended with the arrival of the United States Army. On September 1st, President Warren G. Harding ordered federal troops from Fort Thomas, Kentucky to the scene. This really changed the outcome of this engagement. The conflict ended when the military, represented by the West Virginia Army National Guard and led by McDowell County native William Eubanks, intervened by presidential order. Fourteen planes, fully armed for combat, were dispatched to the state, but were used for surveillance only. The infantry units began arriving the next day. When faced with fighting the United States Army, that was upwards of 27,000 soldiers, many of the miners surrendered. A small contingency continued fighting against Chafin until September 4th, but soon after, all battle-weary miners ended up surrendering to U.S. forces or just returned to their homes. There were casualties. In total, between 50 and 100 striking miners were killed, plus many more were displaced by evictions and violence. There's no full count here. Another 985 were arrested. 
Between 10 and 30 of Sheriff Chafin's local deputies were killed. Three soldiers in the National Guard were killed, and it's estimated that nearly one million rounds of ammunition had been fired. The Battle of Blair Mountain was considered a tactical law enforcement slash military victory. And in the eyes of the coal mining companies, Chafin emerged as a hero. Yeah, a hero. Uh, Because in their eyes, he stopped the Union from entering. And that then allowed him to charge even higher fees for his services. Chafin remained sheriff until 1924, so not a whole lot longer. But his duties ended when he was charged and convicted of illegally operating an establishment that sold liquor. West Virginia Governor Eli Morgan sought federal charges against all miners who had surrendered to federal troops. But the federal government declined to bring charges against them and instead continued its ongoing Senate investigation into the conditions of American coal mines. Without those federal charges, the state of West Virginia decided to prosecute the miners itself. And beginning in 1922, the state indicted more than 500 miners on charges that included murder, conspiracy to commit murder, accessory to murder, and treason. While there were multiple indictments, the charge that caught the attention of pretty much everyone was that of treason. And we're going to focus on the treason trial of a man we haven't actually mentioned yet, union organizer William H. Blizzard. We are going to take a break here for a word from our sponsors. And when we return, we'll get to know who Bill Blizzard was and why he became the face of these treason trials. Trinity School of Natural Health can help you be part of the fast-growing health and wellness industry. With an education that empowers communities, Trinity grads can change lives by applying natural health principles and techniques in holistic practices or stores selling nourishing health products. Offering 19 online programs that fit your busy schedule, you'll get training to help turn your passion into a career. Enroll today at trinityschool.org. That's trinityschool.org. Escape to summer with Victoria's Secret. Pack your bags with just-arrived swim, cover-ups, corset tops, and other sexy silhouettes. When the sun goes down, opt for bold and blingy styles, like the made-to-be-seen Very Sexy Push-Up Bra from the Very Sexy Collection, in on-trend hues like Black Shine, Green, and Citron. For a glam statement, pair them with your favorite jeans and bring the heat. Because life is better in a bikini. Rewind to the future with the VS Archive Swim Collection inspired by Victoria's Secret's classic looks from the 90s and early 2000s. For endless out-of-office options, mix and match with Victoria's Secret's wide range of bikini tops and bottoms that offer you every type of coverage, from full to cheeky to minimal. And now, in this season's must-have shades and patterns, add the finishing touch with the limited-edition Bombshell Escape fragrance, a free-spirited take on the iconic Victoria's Secret scent. Dive into a vibrant blend of juicy guava, lush palms, and summer glow peony. Shop now at your closest Victoria's Secret store or online at victoriasecret.com. I'm Katia Adler, host of The Global Story. Over the last 25 years, I've covered conflicts in the Middle East, political and economic crises in Europe, drug cartels in Mexico. Now I'm covering the stories behind the news all over the world in conversation with those who break it. Join me Monday to Friday to find out what's happening, why, and what it all means. Follow The Global Story from the BBC wherever you listen to podcasts. 
Hi, I'm Cindy Crawford, and I'm the founder of Meaningful Beauty. When Dr. Sabah and I decided to do a skincare line together, he said to me, we are going to give women meaningful beauty. And I said, that's exactly right. We want to give women meaningful beauty, which means each and every product is meaningful. It has a, a reason to exist. It's efficacious. You're going to get results. And then you just go out and live your life. Meaningful beauty. Confidence is beautiful. Learn more at MeaningfulBeauty.com. This is it. Your moment. This is your time to make your comeback with Purdue Global. When you come back with a Purdue Global degree, you create opportunity for yourself, your family, and your future. It's a degree you can be proud of. A degree that employers will trust and respect. Purdue Global offers working adults like you over 175 flexible degree programs to meet your specific career goals. These include associate, bachelor's, master's, and doctoral degrees and certificates. Purdue Global degree programs range from nursing to business to communication and more. Whatever your interest, we have the degree that will move you forward. You have the knowledge. You have the experience. Now it's time to get credit for the work you've done and earn the recognition you deserve with Purdue Global. Purdue's online university for working adults. You know you're worth it. We do too. So don't wait another second to get the degree that will take your career to the next level. Start your comeback today at purdueglobal.edu. Welcome back to Criminalia. Let's talk about the time West Virginia put an American union organizer on trial for treason. Bill Blizzard was born in Cabin Creek, West Virginia, on September 19, 1892, to a family of immigrants from Ireland. He was a coal miner by age 10 and grew up to be an American union organizer. Union work seemed to have been in his blood. His mother, Mary Harris, was the legendary labor organizer known as Mother Jones, who was once labeled, quote, the most dangerous woman in America. That label was given to her by a U.S. district attorney. Her rise to fame came from her prominence as a passionate and lively orator, and she became a fearless organizer for the mine workers during the late 19th and early 20th centuries. Her son, Bill, is important to the Blair Mountain events because he was considered the leader, or also sometimes considered the general, of the marching miners. The state of West Virginia charged 20 people with treason, including minors and including union activist Bill Blizzard. Blizzard's trial took place during the spring and summer of 1922, and it happened in the second floor courtroom of the Jefferson County Courthouse in Charlestown, West Virginia. Jefferson County is about 250 miles away from the scene of the conflict, and the courthouse was chosen in an attempt to ensure an impartial jury. There were no coal mines in that part of the state. At this time in America's history, a treason trial like this one wasn't high stakes just for the men on trial. It was also high stakes for the bigger and struggling labor movement in the country. If the prosecution won, the punitive anti-union tactics used by the coal companies could become legitimized. So this was big, like big, big. It was about the largest labor uprising in American history. One thing about this trial, no matter what county it was held in, those treason charges were considered really shaky at best, but it was thought that the strongest case was against Bill Blizzard. In fact, believing that the treason charges were, quote, improper, 
The prosecutor for Jefferson County, a person named John T. Porterfield, recused himself and declared the trials as a whole to be, quote, a waste of scarce resources and mean-spirited vendettas. Attorneys C.W. Ossington and A.M. Belcher referred to together as the coal dust twins by the miners because of their close working relationship with the coal mine operators, took his place as the prosecution team. The defense was led by Thomas Townsend, a lawyer for the United Mine Workers, along with Harold Houston, who had previously and often worked closely with the union. The case was overseen by Judge J.M. Woods. Because the prosecuting attorney for Jefferson County, John T. Porterfield, as well as the state attorney general did not participate in the trials, many following the case were left assuming the state had abdicated its legal responsibility to the private coal companies. True or not, after hearing this story, that sounds sort of plausible, doesn't it? I could see where people landed there. I can see where people got down that path. While the accused were in jail, Houston got to work. Before indictments were even issued, he was raising funds for the legal defense. During the march, Fred Mooney, who was the secretary treasurer of the local United Mine Workers District, helped to establish the Mingo County Defense League. Many who supported the miners responded to the national and global call for donations to the Miners Defense Fund. Quickly, the fund amassed more than $50,000, originating from support within the labor movement, but also among industries totally unconnected to coal mining. The coal mine operators funded the prosecution. Well, they kind of funded the prosecution. They later billed the state of West Virginia for $125,000 in legal fees. Were they reimbursed? That we don't know. The first person to be tried was Bill Blizzard, who, as we've said, was believed to have been the leader of the march, and he was charged with treason for that act. So, treason, here we are. The United States Constitution specifically defines this crime and says this, Treason against the United States shall consist only in levying war against them, or in adhering to their enemies, giving them aid and comfort. No person shall be convicted of treason unless on the testimony of two witnesses to the same overt act or on confession in open court. The media attention was intense during Blizzard's trial, but that allowed the regional conversation of labor issues to move into a more nationwide conversation. Media coverage was extensive in coal-rich regions of the country, in particular Pennsylvania. Newspapers from places like Altoona, Allentown, Scranton, Wilkes-Barre, they all reported daily on the trial. Several papers in New York City also covered the trial, with the Brooklyn Citizen and the New York Times covering daily events. So people outside southern West Virginia were reading about the conflict, the charges, who testified, and the key details of each testimony. Blizzard's treason trial really broke down to just this one thing. If he was the leader of the march, was he actually leading when the miners reached Blair Mountain, and was it for the purpose of levying war? And there was conflicting testimony about that. The prosecution claimed Blizzard had shadowed the miners as they marched and that he had closely followed their progress. Some miners had turned state's witnesses and testified that Blizzard was commanding the miners during the entire march to Logan County and through the Battle of Blair Mountain. 
Turning state's witness just to get everyone on the same page means that they admitted their guilt in agreement to testify as a witness for the state against their associate, usually in exchange for leniency in sentencing. One of those men claimed that he saw Blizzard delivering ammunition to the miners. Witnesses for the defense, on the other hand, testified to having seen Blizzard in Charleston during the march. Charleston, so you can picture it, is the state capital, and it's about 60 miles from Logan. The defense's star witness, though, was a United States Army infantry captain who stated that he had never heard any miners talk of going to war against the government. Rather, they sought to, quote, protect the women and children from Sheriff Chafin's deputies in Logan County. Ah, that guy. Blizzard himself testified he had been there, but that he had only been there on September 2nd and September 3rd, when he went to persuade the miners to surrender to the United States Army and to return home. Blizzard's trial was standing room only. The courtroom could seat about 300 people, but the crowd that had showed up was closer to 500. It lasted more than four weeks, and it was Prosecutor C.W. Ossington who closed the case for the state, saying, quote, I have nothing against Bill Blizzard. I'm not asking for Bill's blood. I'd like to say, young man, take your wife and babies and go home. On May 25, 1922, after six hours and ten minutes of deliberation by the jury, Blizzard was acquitted of the charge of treason. We quote, We the jury find for the defendant. Court clerk C.A. Conrad wrote on the back of the indictment, quote, We the jury find the defendant not guilty of the charge in the indictment. That was signed by D.B. Shoemaker, the foreman. There was no evidence to back up the claim of treason. Down with the coal barons, yelled one defendant, a union official, and others echoed similar sentiments. Blizzard's acquittal came after questions arose regarding the reliability of some of the witnesses for the prosecution, as well as in Blizzard's role in convincing the miners to lay down their arms. A writer for the Duluth Herald commented, quote, In a large measure, the state of West Virginia was on trial in the Blizzard case, and the verdict of acquittal as to Blizzard was the equivalent to a verdict of guilty against the state. Later that day, sympathizers celebrated Blizzard with a parade. The Associated Press reported that he, and I'm going to paraphrase this because it's actually quite long, was carried on the shoulders of others in a triumphal march through town that crowds cheered his verdict and lifted him on their backs. It wasn't just Bill Blizzard who was charged with treason, we know, and they did not all have the same outcome. Walter Allen was charged and convicted of treason on September 16, 1922, for the part that he played in the 1921 march against the coal companies and the United States Army at Blair Mountain. Witnesses described Allen's role as a leadership role. They testified that he spoke at a rally of miners prior to the march, and they claimed that he led the miners who voted to take part in the march. Witnesses also claimed that Allen recruited miners from other camps and that he obtained weapons for miners for the march that he served on the March's Finance Committee, and that he was seen generally participating in many stages of the event. Allen was the only minor convicted of treason. A jury found him guilty, and he was sentenced to 10 years in state prison. 
He was freed on a $10,000 bond pending his appeal. But on December 16th of 1922, county officials reported that Allen had fled. The charges against other union leaders Frank Keeney and Fred Mooney ended up dropped. Reverend James Wilburn and his son John were convicted, though not for treason. Their crime was second-degree murder after causing the first casualty at Blair Mountain. Most of the indicted miners were acquitted, or their case just never went to trial. Kenzie New, director of the Mine Wars Museum in Mingo County, has talked about the long-lasting significance of the conflict, saying, quote, Blair Mountain teaches us that we have to stand together if we're going to win. The miners took great risks and banded together collectively, overcoming barriers of race and ethnicity to shine a light on these dramatic examples of exploitation. This was a story in American history that I was not really aware of. I was aware of the coal wars and the miners versus the companies, but I was not aware that this was the largest labor uprising. Comparing things like this to the Civil War, I had no idea. I had no idea until we got involved in it. When you start doing the research and looking at how many people were involved, the thing was strategically planned out. It sounds like any other actual battlefield. Doesn't it? Yeah. We tend to think of labor disputes in a a much more, I don't want to say sedate because people are very passionate about it, but not so much involving active warfare. We think of picket lines. We think of people crossing lines. We don't think of people with a Gatling gun necessarily. Our great good fortune is that we don't. While we ponder this, would you enjoy a perfidy pour? I was just about to say, while we discuss this, I would like a drink. (laughs) Maria, you know I love to surprise you, so I hope this does. It's a shot. A shot? (laughs) I'm down. What is this a shot of? bourbon (laughs) just straight because i'm in not just straight and this is one of those things right i like the idea of shots that are actually like small mixed drinks right with layers or like little like interest not just one guy yeah you can do interesting things i am not likely to drink a shot of bourbon straight i know you are but i do enjoy a shot and this one is called coal dust and you'll see why at the end and it's not a super heavy hitter either I'll talk about my thoughts on shots and people <laughs> doing them or not wanting to do them when we get to the end of the cocktail. But okay. <laughs> it's a very simple one to put together. You just need an ounce of bourbon, a half ounce of amaretto, and a half to three quarters of an ounce of apple juice. I went with apple juice because apple orchard's very common in West Virginia. And amaretto, I just thought was going to be a nice combo for those two things to have a party together. A little bourbon and apple juice and amaretto makes it all almondy and delicious. I got to tell you, looking at this list, it's a small list, but it's an odd list. (laughs) Oh, just wait. It's about to get odder. Ooh, okay. So I just stirred them together, and then I poured them into a chilled shot glass. Then here's where the coal dust comes in, because I sprinkled it with just a pinch of freshly ground black pepper. What? Because I want to get that idea of... I associate things like coal dust with just that settling on everything you have and it's everywhere. And so it will settle a little into your shot glass. 
it's not going to radically change the flavor of any of the spirits in there. (laughs) But you'll occasionally get that little bit of it and be like, ah, and sometimes depending on the nature of your pepper, it can be a little small, but not too overwhelming bite. That is coal dust. Now, before I get to the mocktail, I want to say this. One, I have strong feelings about shots because I don't (laughs) think you got to down a shot all at once. And if you're making a shot that's tasty and interesting, you can sip it. It's fine. Nobody here is going to judge you. Mm -hmm. And if they do, I'll berate them aggressively. (laughs) The other thing is that if you just don't like a shot, right? Because this isn't that heavy a hitter. It's an ounce of bourbon. A lot of shots will have like an ounce and a half or even sometimes two if you have a really assertive pourer. But you could, if this sounds interesting, but you don't want to do it like that, you could top it with club soda or ginger ale and make it into more of a traditional cocktail and you're going to be fine. You have options. Again, always, always make it the way you want it. Because that's the whole point. The Amaretto, that was what, half an ounce? Yes, just half an ounce. It's not a lot. Yes, it's not. Yeah, especially when it's countered with the apple juice. And the right. reason I said a half to three quarters is that just a half isn't going to shift things too much. You'll still have a lot of that bourbon bite. So if that's right. still a little too much for you and you don't want to go like the soda route, you can just add a little more apple juice. It's fine. Tweak everything to make it the way you like it. To do this as a mocktail, it's super duper easy as we're going to do the Very, very strongly brewed and steeped black tea in lieu of bourbon. You're going to toss in an almond syrup in lieu of amaretto and then apple juice and black pepper just fine. Same thing with ginger ale or soda if you want to make it a little a little lighter to the palate. Lately, I've been I've been experimenting with shots and bourbon shots in particular. So this was a fun (laughs) one. I love it. To play with. I know. Who am I? I don't know. I don't know. My influence after all these decades has come through. (laughs) I have my reasons. But also, I just, I'm always trying to figure out ways to make friends with things that I think I don't like. I love that because we both feel this way about gin, right? So like your journey of becoming friends with gin is also my journey of becoming friends with gin. Now I quite like gin. I put it in lots of stuff. So I actually find that like when it appears, I'm not like, oh, there's gin in that anymore. So, you know, it's working. Slowly but surely it's working. So yes, that is the coal dust. If you just want a little dusty, you could also, if you really want to go an alternate route, And you're like, I don't want to put pepper in my cocktail with amaretto. (laughs) You could also do just a little, a tiny pinch of activated charcoal powder, which we have used in the past. We have. I was thinking about that, actually. I knew you were expecting that. So I wanted to flip you on your ear. Because you've used it before. So I was not expecting it. But it was a nice little like remembrance of, oh, hey, I remember when we made that activated charcoal drink. That was cool. I hope we have something that looks dusty. Like a (laughs) blanket. If you wanted to do that, you could do that instead of the pepper. That's fine. Particularly if you bought it for a previous cocktail and you're like, I have a bag of activated charcoal. What am I going to use it for? Now's a great time to (laughs) trot it out. Remember, that's one that you got to tell friends. If they're on medications, maybe maybe leave it out. The pepper's safer in that regard because it will absorb a lot of the things that you actually mean to put into your body instead of just the, the tricky parts. Charcoal has many uses, so you can read up on it. It's easy to find information on how charcoal will mess with things like medication. Yeah, that's the coal dust. We hope that takes the edge off of this not exactly uplifting story, but important story about labor rights, and particularly about like how someone just fighting for the right 
to not be taken advantage of by their employer can suddenly be considered a treasonist. Yes. That's an important thing to consider. Troubling? Maybe the perfidy poor took the edge off of that. So we will be right back here next week with another tale of treason, as well as another perfidy poor, and we hope you will join us. Criminalia is a production of Shondaland Audio in partnership with iHeartRadio. For more podcasts from Shondaland Audio, please visit the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you listen to your favorite shows. Trinity School of Natural Health can help you be part of the fast-growing health and wellness industry. With an education that empowers communities, Trinity grads can change lives by applying natural health principles and techniques in holistic practices or stores selling nourishing health products. Offering 19 online programs that fit your busy schedule, you'll get training to help turn your passion into a career. Enroll today at trinityschool.org. That's trinityschool.org. From BBC Radio 4, Britain's biggest paranormal podcast is going on a road trip. I thought in that moment, oh my God, we've summoned something from this board. This is Uncanny USA. He says, somebody's in the house, and I screamed. Listen to Uncanny USA wherever you get your BBC podcasts. If you dare. Whether you're a savvy spender maximizing your savings with cashback rewards, a thrifty rate watcher seeking the lowest interest, or a travel enthusiast looking for extraordinary perks, Kemba Financial Credit Union has a visa to complement your lifestyle and unique needs. Apply today at Kemba.org to unlock a limited-time 2% cash back on purchases. And pay 0% interest on balance transfers for an entire year with a new visa from Kemba. You deserve a card that works for you. Restrictions apply. Offer ends June 30th, 2024. Xfinity has free premium networks for everyone this month, no matter what kind of entertainment you love. Addicted to true crime? Catch killer cases and more spine-tingling shows on A&E Crime Central. Crave adventure? Explore Asian action movies on Hayah. Searching for something extreme? Check out skating, snowboarding, and more on Fuel TV Plus, the global home of action sports. And find crowd-pleasing bops on iHeartRadio's Hit Nation playlist. There's new free shows and movies to love every week. Say free this week in your Xfinity voice remote. With the best all-inclusive vacation deals to Mexico and the Caribbean, booking your getaway with cheap Caribbean vacations means you have more freedom to do your deal. Whether you want to enjoy snorkeling, endless margaritas, and more, or simply soak up the sun and sand in a tropical paradise, Cheap Caribbean Vacations has your deal for that. Plan and book the exact getaway you want at exactly the right price for you by using our exclusive budget beach finder. Or find a featured all-inclusive package to Ocean by H10 Hotels and do your deal at CheapCaribbean.com.